As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know. It's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working Al Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE. L-U-K-E at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, Ex-Girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your junk with anything other than Manscaped. Oh, that is scary. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Now, go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar. Yeah, you get it? And join the two million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED. Now, that's simply J-E-D, and you put that promo code in, they'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Have you ever tried to trim your junk and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? (laughs) Well, luckily, Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with a new refined body wash. Fellas, 
the ladies love their signature scent, and it will scare away those vampires. So unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They've made it easy for you guys. Upgrade your grooming routine with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED, that's J-E-D, at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping. Doesn't get any better than that. Manscaped.com, promo code JED. Guys, say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss drag racing, U.S. Olympic athletes, and adult film stars who may or may not be from the state of Ohio. Big Jed, how are you? Luke, I am well. I really am. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this show. It's, it's going to be uh, a little bit long, but it's got so much great stuff in it. Uh, all topics that uh, people want to hear and need to hear. And we're going to talk about some great racers that are in battles and some great racers that have won races. This is really this show, Luke, episode 248 is is what the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast was built for. And I'm excited about it. Wow. All right. That's a high bar. We're going to try to follow up on that as best we can over the course of the next two ish hours. Um, highlights. I faced the music, Big Jed. I owned up. I was I, I spent the weekend in Ohio for all that I've given Ohio and its racers down the road. I faced the music. I manned up. I lived to tell about it. I am back home in the safety of Illinois. It's actually a really good experience, but we'll have a little bit of fun with that. Um, bracket racing, alive and well. Uh, between the event that I was at at Kilker Dragway and the 10 Gs at BG at Bowling Green, I believe there were just over a million cars at the two races combined. So we'll talk about that. Bracket <laughs> racing is going to be okay. I did see the greatest Halloween costume in the history of Halloween costumes. We'll talk about that. We've got another tickets punch situation. We've got uh, three more divisions. The last three remaining divisions that have um, solidified their representatives for the NHRA Summit ET Finals World Championship runoff in Las Vegas, which is just over two weeks away. We'll touch on that. Super strong performances as the NHRA season winds down. We had a whole week of racing in Division 4 between Thunder Valley Raceway Park and the Texas Motorplex. Some standout performances from a handful of competitors there, as well as um, big performances out in Division 7 at the double at Las Vegas. And that, Jed, kind of sets the table for the complete nerd out, which is the bulk of oh. this show. We are less than, uh, I guess right now we are five weeks removed from the final uh, round of competition in NHRA racing to go down the racetrack. And no sportsman championship as of yet is completely mathematically decided. We break them all down in depth, deep dive, nerd out, NHRA yeah. points breakdown. This is what has to happen the rest of the way. Get your uh, pocket protectors and your protractors because my man has gone straight nerd 
and uh, he's definitely at at an all time high with his nerdism. So numbers looking forward heavy. to that number heavy podcast. Yeah, looking forward to that, Luke. It's it's uh, definitely a good segment or you know a good uh, discussion that you got about those categories. So can't wait to hear all about that. And I'm going to change it up on you a little bit. We'll get to that soon. But first, PJ No. You know then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working on Big Jed, it is good to see you. It is, it is good to hear your voice, my friend. It's only been a few days, but I feel like we've got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, Luke, uh, as always, uh, this is a important time of the year for both bracket racers and uh, the NHRA points chases. So there's always plenty to talk about. And we got some uh, some great racing to discuss here. Looking forward to it. Uh, this this first topic, you know, uh, you know, need to get this off your chest. We need to get this out in the air, get this talked about, get it over and behind us. So why don't you just get us started down this path? We do have a lot to talk about. And uh, this is not to do with any of it, but I, uh, I don't know if you've heard Jed, I, I spent really the last week, but specifically the last weekend in the great state of Ohio. Yes. yes. And, uh, I don't know if you're aware big Jed, but on, I, on these airwaves, I've, I've, I've been pretty hard on the state of Ohio, the Ohio racers. At least that's the gist that I'm getting. Oh, Luke. You haven't been hard on Ohio. You picked a little, but you know, that's a, that's a, an oversensitive fan base uh, by well, nature so you, know, you hadn't been bad let me say this ohio redeemed itself over the weekend in terms of i got a lot of good natured ribbing a there's a lot more people that listen to this podcast than i realized like from the state of ohio i figured ohio tuned us out especially the way i've been lately <laughs> a, a lot of good sports there and, and a lot of people still tuning in so so thank you to our ohio listeners um i did race in ohio i did not win Okay, so Ohio got the better of me, right? Um, I will say this. I, I didn't really run into any unbeatable runs. Like, I lost on my own accord, but that's neither here nor there. I, yeah. I won't go deep into that. I won't knock the guys from Ohio. I won't bring up the fact that while, you know, if you can win here, you can win anywhere. I won't bring, in, bring up the fact that Lee Markham, who came – the reason I was in Ohio, we hosted a, a school. We call it Elite Fest. It's just for our – elite members. So I won't mention the fact that Lee Markham came in for elite fest, stuck around for the race. He's from Missouri and it, it didn't, it didn't look that hard for him to win in Ohio. I won't bring that up. Okay. Cause that gets me into trouble. <laughs> yeah. Do not bring that up. Like <laughs> I feel like it has been, uh, it, it's been construed. It's been taken that I think the racers in Ohio, like aren't good racers yet. And, and that's not actually the case. Not, of course not. I, I, I played into that, right? Yeah. The races in Ohio are, are fine. The racers in Ohio are good racers. My argument is that they're just not like better racers than everywhere else in my own opinion, which is obviously subjective. So my fight here, and I know you get this, Jed. But for our listeners, my, my, my argument here is not that the racers in Ohio aren't good racers. I think what I bristle at more than anything is, is territorialism, if that's a word. If it's not a word, it should be. Yes. Sounds Which is just the idea that a certain state or a certain racetrack is tougher to win than anywhere else. And I'm actually curious to get your take on this, Jed, because like, I know you're big, all Alabama all the time, right? I yes. think in my case, maybe it's because I have moved around a lot in my life. Maybe it's because 
I've raced in, I mean, most states in the union, you know, not certainly not all of them, but I've been around, right? Like, I just, I bristle at the idea that, like, okay, Nick Hastings and Matt Dadis and Chris Bear from Ohio, so, like, the best racers in the world are here. Like, yes, there are really good racers in Ohio, but that doesn't make Ohio, like, the toughest place to race. And I just get a kick out of the, hey, if you can win here, you can win anywhere, right? Because everybody says this. But you know why everybody says it, Jed? Because for the most part, it's true. Yes. Everywhere. And it's not exclusive to your home track or your home state. And it's, it was, the, I think the reason that I've picked on Ohio and Division One, like, sorry, Division One, you're, you're right up there too, is that I just get that, like, that, that pride, that territorialism. I get it more from that region than I do anywhere else. And again, that's probably subjective, but I thought it was hilarious. Like I got it a lot this weekend, like some of it completely harmless. Like people that I know don't listen to this podcast and haven't heard my take. Like if, if one person told me, man, you know, it's tough up here. Okay. If you win here, you can win anywhere. Right. Like, I mean, if one person told me that I had it six times and I just chuckled, right. Like, yeah, I know I get it. Right. But then I got some that like, they wanted to kind of, you know, they were, they, they brought it up as Joey, you've been really hard on Ohio. Luke. We listened to the show and then they would tell me how good, how tough it is to win there. And I'm like, that's the point. That's exactly what I'm railing against. Like, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the truth is Jed, that Ohio has some excellent racers, many of whom you've heard of, like, I mean, big names, right? And many of whom you haven't. Like, there's good racers that I haven't heard of in Ohio. I met some this weekend that really impressed me that I didn't really know, right? Oh, yeah. But you know what? There's good racers in Arkansas and Arizona, and Alabama, as you well know, and, and, I, and maybe any other states that starts with a, I, I don't know about Alaska. Is there a racetrack in Alaska? I think there is. Yes. Okay. So make the counter argument. Like, why is it harder to win in Alabama than anywhere else? Well, it's harder to win in Alabama than anywhere else because that's where I'm racing. So, <laughs> and it's easy for you to jump on the right. bandwagon to say yeah. Ohio's not that good because obviously Alabama's better, right? Yes. Anytime I go okay. to Tennessee, it's harder to win there than anywhere else. And if I'm in another <laughs> state, it's harder to win there. I, this can be summed up really easily, Luke, and say, if time and money were not an object. If you just had plenty of both of those and you could go and you had to have a win, you decided, look, my racing is going to come to a stop if I don't get a win this weekend, what state would you go to? You can't name one no, because really they're all hard to win in. They're and and I will say, like, there win. are people jumping up and down saying, I would go to wherever, do it. Right? Yes, because <laughs> yeah. when you get there, you realize like, oh, you know, on paper, this looked like a really good idea. This this may not be as clean cut and simple as I thought. Yeah, it turns yeah. out there's a guy over there that's won the last four out of the five weeks that they've raced here, and he's pretty damn good. Right. So, he knows what um, time it is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's no easy state to win in. They're all extremely difficult. There's great racers everywhere, great equipment everywhere, and it's a moot point that anyone tries to make that that if you can win here, you can win anywhere because reality is if you can win here and you can insert track or state, mm -hmm. you can win anywhere. 
in, in this day all, and age, I firmly believe that <laughs> they're I, all just as hard to win as the other. If you uh, if you can win here and here has more than like a dozen cars on a given Saturday night, I like your chances. Like you can be competitive at any level because it is it's hard everywhere. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, you know, Ohio is, is probably as full of racers as about any state. There's a lot of tracks there. There They're tends up. to be large crowds there. And I, some of those tracks hover on state lines. So you can't say it's all Ohio racers. I think they, they obviously come up from Kentucky. They come over from Pennsylvania. They come down from Michigan, so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that those large crowds sometimes um, make it seemingly more difficult to win. And that, that could be some of what those guys are feeling there. No, and I, I've I actually had this conversation quite a bit this weekend too, particularly where we were. You know, we were at Kilcare Raceway near Dayton, and that region. I mean, if you expand that out to Kilcare, Edgewater, I guess if you went up to Norwalk and maybe catch some of the Kentucky races, like that area is, dare I say, the mecca of big dollar bracket racing right now. I mean, just look at what Kilcare has between the Ultimate 64 and the Derby City event now, the race that Disco, the races that Disco Dean puts on where I was at this weekend, the races that they do in-house at Kilcare. Uh, Jake Hodge puts on some races at Kilcare. Like, they literally have, I don't know, seven or eight races worth traveling to every single year. Or yeah. they did this year, at least, right? Yeah, yeah no doubt. It's definitely uh, an area that people are going to to put on races and and it's for obvious reasons yeah no doubt so i guess that's a good transition there's not a ton to talk about in the in the bracket racing world this week i feel like we're gearing up for uh, two millions in in three weeks uh, we mentioned on, on last week's show but there were a couple of events that i wanted to just kind of cover broadly uh, first and foremost how good is it to be mike barber right now jed it's really good to be Mike Barber. Mike has been a, a super competitive racer on the bottom bulb for many, many years, Luke. Uh, I guess in the last, I don't know, five to seven years, I feel like he has transitioned over to a top bulb racer. And, um, man, dude's on fire right now. And he makes really, really good runs. He's, he's a tough out, and it's showing. No question. And it's in a, a, a relatively unassuming Mustang. I mean, it, it looks like a... A relatively small tire car it's yep. i think it goes low sixes is that accurate yep that is accurate Spot and obviously really good with a really good driver we talked about um barbara we've talked about him a few times this year but most recently i think it was two weeks ago at uh, the fetch jp race at cecil county he won the fifty thousand dollar main event and had a second entry in the semis as if that weren't enough he backs that up this past weekend with a $20,000 main event at the Mutt and Jeff event at Mason Dixon. So a 50 and a 20, uh, what separated by two weeks, that's not Jeff Sarah stuff, but that is in that realm, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's super hot. I mean, it's, it's a hot streak you know, like you don't see very often. So, um, you know, call it overshadowed if you will, but it's still very, very impressive. So the two wins from Mutt and Jeff, uh, obviously Mike Barber wins the first 20 grander. Jeff, not a duck, wins the second 20 grander. We've talked about Jeff before, right? Oh, absolutely. Jeff Duck, one of the, one of the greatest names in what we do as a sport and um, certainly proves many, many times over that he's not one. Not one. 
And I, I think my takeaway, and again, this is a little bit biased just from where I was last weekend. And I'll be honest, Jed, we talked about this a little bit off air. Um, the event, the, the, the boo banger, that's where I was, right? It's uh, Disco Dean and Joshua Morgan, Morgan put that race on at Killcare. And Disco wasn't even there. Like he had, uh, he had prior obligations. He was out street outlaw on it. So Josh ran the whole race along with the Killcare staff. But I haven't got to do a lot of bracket racing. Like for the most part, Jed, what I've done for probably the last calendar year is either NHRA race or a handful of the, the mega bracket races, like the, the millions, right? And it was just so fun and refreshing to go to a race like this where as part of it was the event, part of it was the staff, part of it was the racetrack, but it just had this vibe of like fun, like not to say that the other races I go to, I don't enjoy, I do, but there's just an intensity about them that wasn't necessarily there this weekend. Like it was very family oriented. It's an older racetrack. I don't know if you've ever been to Kilcare. Like it's a cool place. It, it, it spoke to my heart. I like the older tracks that have been taken care of and built up over time. And it was just fun. It was a really enjoyable event. And I think that goes to speak for Disco and Josh, as well as the Kilcare staff. Like I, I really enjoyed it, even though I didn't do a whole lot of good, but I, again, this might be biased from where I was last weekend, but I think Killcare had like two cars short of a million. There was a lot of cars, right? I actually think the count on the biggest day was like 480 something, 480 something entries. You could double enter. Um, meanwhile, three hours ish, maybe four hours away at Bowling Green, 400 plus entries at the 10 G's at BG. Um, bracket racing is alive and well. The, the, um, the, demise of big dollar bracket racing might be slightly exaggerated those two events at least to that part of the country thriving yeah luke obviously again what we talked about that that part of the country is full of racers lots of uh lots of people looking to go do big money bracket racing but there's a lot of options too so it says a lot about two facilities and two promotion teams or or ownership teams at those facilities and what the racers have come to expect from them. Never been to Kill Care, but I've heard wonderful things about it. Obviously, Bowling Green, Beach Bend, legendary facility with ownership that has remained in place for decades. Um, I think the crowds have probably followed the money and you know, in, in Killcare's case, uh, Disco Dean as, uh, as the promoter, but the, the facility has to lend itself to uh, a good time racing. The surrounding area has to do all that. And obviously these tracks and facilities and, and track owners have done a wonderful job of creating um, comfort in the racers' eyes or, or the racers' minds that, that they go and 10 races there and you know, I, I think just over and over and over those two facilities in particular, just seeing very large crowds. So bracket racing is thriving, but I would say also uh, certainly those two local ownership and promotion teams have uh, helped create that buzz as well. Not not just because there's a big purse and opportunity to go race for it. I think there's a lot more than meets the eye when you talk about Kill Care and Bowling Green. I agree on both sentiments. And I, and I do think that to some extent, if we're going to focus on those two events, like there's a little bit of perfect storm involved too, in that it's late in the season here up, up North, so to speak, 
where the weather has been amazing. And at the same time, we all feel like the clock's ticking. Like it's the weather's not going to be amazing for long. So it's, you know, Hey, we can get out and race maybe two, three more times. Like, let's take advantage of this. And Oh my God, the high is 75 this weekend. Let, <laughs> yeah, let's go take work. advantage of this. And, and the forecast at, at both events was phenomenal. I think that certainly played into it. And I also think like, just from a timing standpoint, again, uh, you're, you're catching the, not necessarily the snowbirds because this is, these are both regional events. Right. But, it's one, it, we know that it's one of the last opportunities to race without heading south and the weather's gorgeous. And at the same time, for those planning on heading south, like let's say planning on heading to Valdosta for the OG million and or Memphis for the Great American Guaranteed Million or any other host of, of big dollar bracket races that are still on the slate and you know, down in the, in the Southern states in the coming month or two. Um, these were events that paid well uh, would be well attended, would be fun. And at the same time, didn't break the bank. So if you're trying to set aside a couple thousand dollars to set head south, right? Like this wasn't a race that if you went and didn't do well, that was going to deter you from that in either case. So I, I just think timing, race structure, and as you mentioned, the uh, the following of those promoters and racetracks all played into kind of a perfect storm on this particular weekend. Yeah, it does sound quite the perfect storm for sure. Like, um, briefly oh wait before i go there i think so you had mentioned disco and his following and that's like that's a real thing up, up where i was in ohio and, and for good reason like a disco's fun right but just from a, yes. a bracket racing standpoint promotion standpoint um they put on a good show right and they've got a good following for good reason i'd mentioned to you off air that a big part of obviously the the boo banger right it's super family oriented. It was uh, Halloween decorations. I felt very much in the minority. I did get candy to give away to the kids, but I was very much in the minority in that I didn't have a decorated trailer. Right? Felt it, it was the 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 trick or treating aspect. I've been to racetrack trick or treats. I've seen nothing like this. Like it was literally difficult to drive through the pits at idle while trick or treat was going on. Like it was jam packed. It was awesome. It was cool to see. And I don't know, Jed, if you happened upon this on social media, I saw given the context, especially the best Halloween costume I have ever seen in my life. Did you see this? I don't think I saw it. Luke. I must okay. have missed it. Well, I'm, we're going to get with producer Mark and uh, make this the cover image. Okay. This was epic. Uh, it was floating around on social media, but there was a kid and honestly, like I, I'm not really certain the costume was so good. I'm, I'm not really certain if the kid was a boy or girl, but kid had the disco Dean stinky pinky shirt, belly stuff full of something, pink hair drawn on goatee. It was disco. <laughs> Trick or treat disco. It was <laughs> phenomenal. Best thing I've seen all year. So the kid came as Stinky Pinky himself. That's it. To the Stinky oh Pinky God. race. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Classic. Classic. Yes. So, great idea, too. <laughs> it really was. They should give some kind of prize. <laughs> um, other bracket racing news. We actually skipped over this last week because this these are results from last weekend. Um, but, uh, we ran a little bit low, a little bit long on last week's show. And, uh, I'll be honest, Jed, like we alluded to it on the show. It was about midnight when we wrapped up. So forgive us. We have a tickets punch situation. In fact, all remaining tickets to 
the NHRA Summit ET Finals World Championship runoff have now been punched. Last weekend saw ET Finals in Division One, Division Two, Division Seven. Uh, at some point in the next week or two, Big Jed, I'm sure we'll have a preview show for that runoff in Las Vegas. We'll go through every single entrant, but specifically from those divisions who were the last ones to the table. Um, let's roll through tickets punched to Vegas. First off, the longest geographical toe to Vegas comes obviously from Division One. Run us through those winners, Big Jed. Yeah, Luke, and uh, Super Pro, the main event winner was Teresa Cumming in pro which is uh, obviously their bottom bulb category uh, that allows trans breaks it was my man dan casey dan a big supporter of ours in bristol each year at the world foot break challenge and the the uh, labor day event so great to see dan emerge as the champion there and get a trip to vegas no no offense to anyone else i just i know dan personally so that's pretty cool as sportsman sportsman event winner was uh, russ wilbur and the bike main event winner was Adam Sharan. And I'm not sure if I got that right, but I hope I did. I'll roll um, with it. I will roll with it. Could the, be Sharon. Uh, so these guys have a long road ahead of them. But again, like just the prestige, the allure, the opportunity to uh, compete for a national championship. And let's face it, I, I think the way that this is structured, if all of your travel isn't covered, the vast majority of your travel is covered. Pretty in a pretty amazing opportunity that I would assume the vast majority, even of these D1 entrants, are going to take advantage of. They will be making that long tow down to Vegas. Yeah, I'm sure they will, Luke. And uh, you know that the winning the division is a really cool thing. It's a it's a wonderful accomplishment in itself. But everybody that was at the event had hopes of making it to Vegas and those four are getting to do that. And the four getting to do that out of division two is a uh, super pro main event winner was Joseph Bagwell. Uh, pro main event winner was Tony Gambardella. Oh, gambler. Yep. Old Gambardella and uh, sportsman main event was my good friend, Michael Mockney. Michael is another supporter of ours at the world Footbreak challenge. Hey, Mike, race a little bit from time to time there but uh, typically danielle his wife does the racing but michael uh, got in the car very little seat time luke uh, throughout the year he's he's taking care of danielle he's watching after juniors and he's got a lot on his plate but um, michael decided to run that event uh, being able to qualify at his local track through a few races and lo and behold comes out the winner so cool deal for michael good to see him making the trip to vegas as well and the bike main event winner was eric crosby that's uh, that's my home division division two so a little extra something in there for me for that group and uh, home of the best racers in the world if you can win in division two big judge you can win anywhere <laughs> yes, no, no doubt no <laughs> doubt and and, and mockney headed west uh, obviously this is going to be his first opportunity to uh, to compete for the summit et world championships but doesn't have to go far in the family like his in-laws have been out there a bunch <laughs> yeah yeah his in-laws uh, ride bikes and uh they they win a lot um so they you know this is uh, this is not an unfamiliar trip to this family but it will be a little bit different scenario with uh with michael doing the the will in there for the the sportsman category so wishing uh, wishing all those division two racers a strong finish out there and uh, the home of the event, Luke, uh, the, of the World Finals Division Seven, which 
Now you talked about Division One having the longest ride. Obviously, these uh, racers will have geographically the shortest ride. There might be a Division Six uh, racer that that's got a little closer because I think Utah is in Division Six. But nonetheless, we'll get out all that. And Division Seven is the home of the event. So I need to, they, I need to brush up on West Coast geography, like. Boise might be closer to Vegas than like Sonoma. I don't yeah, know that, be. but it, 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 I think that's relatively close. Yeah. Yeah, it should be close. But uh, by and large, this this event is uh, typically held in Pomona. And these racers uh, have seen the facility probably multiple times in most cases where others will see it for their one and sometimes only time in their life when they go. But nonetheless, Super Pro main event winner was Michael Brundage. Uh, the pro main event winner was Roger Phillips. And the notes on the show says the dude won everything. Luke, dude, I, I'm did not you familiar. see this, Chad? He must have won race of champions in the whole shebang. Like gamblers races and everything. I've I've okay, let me let me back up here. I, I illustrated, talked about on this show how my wife and I went to the division three ET finals last year, and it's the first ET finals I've been to in 15 plus years, right? So I'm not super um uh, familiar with the et finals format but what i'm reading this comes courtesy drag champ roger phillips was in not one not two not three not four five final rounds at the et finals i didn't realize that there were five events to be contested at the et finals <laughs> much less to, to appear in the final round of all of them roger phillips won you, you're right he did win the race of champions pro race of champions he won the main event he also won the Sunday follow-up gamblers race and somewhere in there accumulated two more runner-ups. Dude was in five finals at the ET finals. Like it, it's one thing to be in five final rounds and accumulate three wins in any one weekend. Like that's amazing to do it at the bracket finals, which to your point is the race that basically everyone in the division converges on. It's the race that everyone looks forward to all year. It's the race that if you win, you get the opportunity to represent your division, to race for the world championship. It is the best of the best in your region. You are not supposed to run over that race. Roger Phillips ran over that race. Yeah. Impressive stuff. Yeah, most definitely. That's uh, five final rounds, man. three of those being wins. That's a super impressive performance. And uh, Roger carrying a lot of momentum into the world finals uh, in the sportsman category. The main event winner was Gary Harefield and in bike, the main event winner was Clay Pollitt. And that wraps up the divisions that we haven't yet covered as far as the people that are going to the uh, world finals in Vegas here very, very soon. So uh, as you mentioned, Luke, we will cover that a little more in depth as we uh, get those lists together and, and get to that event. But uh, really cool deal. Congratulations to all those division winners, whether you're one, two, or on down to seven. Uh, that's a, an amazing accomplishment. Typically once in a lifetime, unless you're like a, you know, a Kyle Seipel or somebody that just right. wins it at, uh, you know, just whenever, like every year. What do you win? 14 of those or something, Luke? 17 is the number in mind, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a number that started with a one and ended with a lot. <laughs> Usually a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Several uh, racers win it more than once, but uh, really cool accomplishment and congratulations to each and every one of you. And we look forward to talking about you a little bit more as we uh, build a show around that particular event here very soon. Yeah, we will definitely build up to that. We'll nerd out a little bit on uh, 
on the ET finals. It's one of our favorite events of the year. We try to focus on it each and every year. We'll preview it. We'll make picks that almost certainly will not come to fruition. We'll jinx some people. We'll have a lot of fun with it. We'll nerd out. What I want to do for the rest of this show, Big Jed, is completely nerd out. And I apologize to you because I went on my typical deep dive this morning and spent, I don't know, an hour putting together show notes that go on for like four pages. So apologies, but it's time, right? We have reached a point in the NHRA schedule where there are now, including this coming up weekend, there are three national events left on the schedule. There are just three divisional events left on the schedule. Two of those six races remaining happen this weekend. We've got the last East Coast national event in Bristol, as well as a Division 7 event in Tucson. After that, there is one race a weekend for the next four weeks that will ultimately settle this thing in all of the sportsman categories. And by and large, uh, nothing is really settled yet, at least in the majority of the classes. So the way that I'm going to break this down, Jed, is I tried to, to, to take each NHRA sportsman category and break it down as, okay, locks, like this is nothing is mathematically over just yet because there are six races left on the schedule, but there are a couple of champions that I, I think we can go ahead and crown. Then we've got favorites with work to do. And then there's still a couple of classes with just six races left on the schedule that are wide open. I mean, like your pick, your guess as to who's going to win the world championship is everybody as good as mine. I can't even pick a favorite. Well, that ought to be pretty cool. I mean, that keeps it interesting. And again, as I say, most every show here at this point of the year, whether you like to nerd out or not, uh, these points chases are fun to watch because you, you know, most of us have been in some kind of points battle here, there, somewhere, and we understand how they work on you mentally, physically, and certainly uh, challenge you to rise to the top when it's time to go race. But Luke, these NHRA championships, while some don't put a lot of value on it, reality is these are season-long, grueling challenges and battles to win these world championships. You typically have to ride a lot of miles. You've got to do a lot of planning. You've got to sit through some stuff that, that's not very pleasant uh, when you go to a national event. You might have to park somewhere that isn't pleasant. There's so much getting in your way of winning this championship outside of just freaking getting on the racetrack and going line to line. So these things just have so much invested and so much involved. So listeners, if you're, if you're not somebody that just really enjoys this, think of that aspect, whether you love this type of racing or not, that aspect alone just deserves uh, these guys deserve a lot of credit when they accomplish this goal because it is is probably the most challenging points championship to win in what we cover. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, Jed. Like it, it is. You can get some of the big dollar bracket crowd that say, "Well, like it's there's not a lot of money involved," and compared to what's available in the big dollar bracket racing uh, circuit right now, that's accurate. But well, there, there's a lot of money involved, Luke. It's just the money you're spending, not the money <laughs> well, you're winning. Fair, fair. <laughs> um, I, I do think like the, the general cost of competition, not necessarily the, the events, but the, the uh, vehicles that you need to be competitive in these classes. Like there's not a, there's not a inexpensive way to go about NHRA racing in, in my opinion, like 
every no. class demands a, a pretty significant upfront investment. Um, but to your point, like while the, the, the monetary pressure may not equal, say, a million dollar race or a, even a 50 or 100 grander, the travel, I would argue the competition, certainly the pressure, just because of the way that the races are laid out and the fact that it's a national points uh, chase, the, the pressure is, I think, uh, parallel, if not greater than about any other form of racing. So it, all of that combined, it does. I think it makes it super intriguing uh, to follow, if nothing else. So let's start with the locks, Jed. I got two locks at this point. <laughs> the first is Loving it. super gas. Um, and this, uh, this makes me very uncomfortable, but if it was anyone else leading super gas, I, we would be talking about this, right? So um, it's not over, um, but I've basically locked up the super gas world championship. So over the course of the last week, Austin Williams, red hot, big Jed. And Austin's had a good year in super gas. The yes. last week he won the points meet in Noble, Oklahoma. And then midweek, he runnered up the national event, which was contested in Dallas, but was the Houston national event for, that had been postponed due to weather from earlier in the year. So let's say it's Sunday. He wins at Noble. On Wednesday, he is the runner up at Houston. And on Sunday, he wins the Dallas national event. He nearly went the whole week without losing a round. Aaron's a divisional Wally, a national event Wally, as well as a national event runner up. And if that wasn't good enough, Austin Williams is an Aggie. No. I don't know if you heard, Big Jed, but I, uh, my, the rumor is the Aggies had a big weekend. Luke, that was painful. You know, I, uh, again, this is about racing, so we don't really want to talk football unless Alabama's dominating. And when they're not, I don't really see where it's relevant. I don't, I don't see where it's a topic that we need to be discussing. My and, point was it was an <laughs> awesome week to be Austin Williams. It was a great week for A-Dub. Uh, obviously, tremendous performance on the racetracks that he was attending. And certainly, uh, that was a very huge win for uh, A&M. And they earned it. They deserved it. They, there's no excuses. They kicked my tide's tail. And uh, A-Dub's probably just on top of the world right now, as he should be. His, uh, his team accomplished something pretty darn rare, Luke. The point, of, uh, the point I was getting to with this, and obviously huge kudos to Austin Williams, even with that phenomenal run of the last week, Austin has two races left. If he won them both, he can't catch me. Uh, John LaBoost Jr., who I felt like was the biggest competition for the bulk of the season, he's claimed out he can't catch me. Um, the way that I did this, and again, like this is not official by any stretch, but this is me nerding out. Uh, the best I can figure, there are two drivers remaining in the current top 10 that have a mathematical chance to to, to best the score that I've put up. That is Rob Kropfeld and Jonathan Anderson. All that Rob Kropfeld has to do to win the world championship. There, again, there are six races remaining, but you can't make all six because you can't be in Bristol, Tennessee and Tucson, Arizona at the same time. Last I checked, right? So all Kropfeld has to do is, is attend the five races left on the schedule with which logistically could be cumbersome because you're talking about Bristol to Rockingham to Vegas, Vegas, Pomona, right? It's doable. Uh, but all he has to do is attend those five. And if he were to win all five of them, his ceiling, the most points he could get winning all five, I believe is 774 points. Right now I have 733. So if I did not improve and he won out, he would beat me. In fact, he could lose a round or two as long as it's a final. Possible. It's not over. It's not mathematically over. Jonathan Anderson would have to win 
three remaining division races and better his national score. Logistically to make three remaining division races would mean traveling from where Jonathan Anderson lives to Tucson this weekend. Jonathan Anderson lives in Georgia, by the way. So Georgia to Tucson this weekend, back to Rockingham, North Carolina, back to Las Vegas, just to make the three. Then he has to win them all. And I can rest easy with Jonathan Anderson, not because he's not capable of doing that, but because he's entered in Bristol this weekend, which tells me he is not going to Tucson. So I think he can be eliminated when he stages at Bristol. It's over. It's over. I I mean, yes, it's a lock, right? So (laughs) if, in fact, this does come to to fruition, Big Jed, a couple of things that are are pretty cool on my end. First off, did you know that in the, what is this, like 40-year history now of Supergas, there have only been two repeat world champions up to this point. Obviously, if I hold on, I will uh, become the third to win two Supergas World Championships. Pretty elite group there. Trivia time. Can you name the two drivers that have done it? Oh, of course I can. Luke, you know I'm great at this. Uh, the, the, You're my favorite the, trivia. You know, I always, I always lean on a Richardson. I always say that uh, probably a Richardson has done it. Typically, a very safe bet. Scotty was the Supergas World Champion, I believe it was 1994. And he was uh, the first, and now is among one of, is it just three? To win multiple World Championships in one season. He won Super Comp and Super Gas that year. I think I'm blanking on somebody. I know Jeff Strickland's done that. I know Justin Lamb's done that. Is it just the three? Anyway, that's a different trivia time for a different day. Point is, that's Scotty's only Supergas World Championship. Do you have another guess? Um, <laughs> not really. Iggy Boy Sesso. Another very good guess. Iggy is a one-time uh, Supergas World Champion. <sighs> has has been close a variety of other times, but has won it once. The two, and this is Supergas royalty, the two that have done it, Sheldon Gecker, Sherman Adcock Jr. Oh, sure, my man. So if... This comes to fruition, and I'm able to join that list. That's pretty special, right? Very Um, special. In addition, by winning the divisional event in St. Louis a week ago, um, that actually bolstered my score to 733 points, which makes it the highest points total in Supergas class history since they updated the points earning system some 30, 20 26 years ago is mid nineties. So highest points total since then bettering the 731 point total that I posted in 2014. Another super cool thing. Like I now have the two highest points totals ever in Supergas. That is very cool. Luke. Now I know you, I know you don't say that with any, um, with any type of cocky attitude or any of that, that's uh, there's pride in that as there should be. That's a, uh, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, it is. Do, and, and it's been score a, that once much less do this twice. It's been a, a, a dream season. And one that like, obviously I feel like I've got great equipment. I've done my job for the most part, but just, you don't, there's, you get to claim eight races, Jed. I have five wins and two runner ups. Damn, that's nuts, right? That's badass. And you can just know that throughout that, 
yes, there are rounds where I was like, great. My car was amazing, but there were rounds like, like first round at St. Louis, the race that I ended up winning. So, and keep in mind, like rounds two through seven, I'm really proud of what I did, right? Deserve to win in round one. I was late. I made the wrong decision to cross first, despite being late. And then I messed that up and got a few thousands behind. And my wind light came on. I did everything <laughs> you could do wrong. And it worked out right. And I came back and I told my wife, I said, look at that time slip. Like I'm set to be 008. I'm 17. I tried to get there first. I thought I'd get there first. I wasn't even close. I was like seven thou behind and win a double breakout. And that was, that is a microcosm for my season. Like try as I may, I can't screw up. And that's the way that 2021 has been. I'm not complaining about that a bit, but I just, that's, that's the way things fall into place when you get on that kind of heater. All my life, Luke, I've been taught that two wrongs don't make a right. Three, you got a chance. But three wrongs, by God, <laughs> turns out really good for you. So maybe maybe three wrongs make a right. In that case, they certainly did. <laughs> um, my, my other lock in the NHRA Sportsman classes is in Top Sportsman, which is nuts because the last time that we talked about Top Sportsman, I'm like, any one of a dozen people could win Top Sportsman, right? Like, it's wide open. Is not wide open anymore. Paul Mitsos is going to be your 2021 NHRA Top Sportsman World Champion. Where did he come from? Paul Mitsos. Like, I don't even know if we mentioned that name. Well, all Paul Mitsos has done in his last three divisional events, which was the last leg of a double in Phoenix and the two legs of the double in Vegas just last weekend, all he's done in those three races is win two of them and losing the semis once. In, in a field that was pretty wide open, Mitsos was in the top 10, and now Mitsos is booked out. He has one points meet left, which presumably will be Las Vegas. He's improving a third-round loss. He can improve his score. He has 556 points right now, which is only 42 points ahead of his nearest competitor. That's a little over four rounds of racing. But everyone that is close is claimed out. And even the racers that have events left to claim Big Jed – the only national event remaining at which top sportsman is contested is Pomona. So where there are six races, uh, at least on paper for everyone else, there are only four for top sportsman. If you're looking for like a long shot, the only realistic shots to catch Paul Mitsos and, and unseat him belong to Vince Hoda, to Jimmy Lewis and to Ed Olpen. And again, like they're long shots, Jimmy Lewis, who with his win at, uh, Dallas completed a perfect national event score. You can only claim three national events. He's won them all. Okay. He's only been to four divisionals, but again, there's only three points meets left. So if Jimmy Lewis is going to win the world championship, he needs to be on his way to Arizona right now. I don't know if he is or not, but between Arizona and Vegas, because I would assume that he would not drive to Arizona and then to Rockingham and then to Las Vegas. Right. Um, between those two, if he goes to Tucson and Vegas, he would need to accumulate 107 points. Now, one of those races counts full. So if it's a win and the Vegas race should be a 48 car field. So if that was a win for Jimmy Lewis, it could conceivably be 105 points. And then he'd have to improve at his other divisional as well. Like it's doable, but it's really tough, right? In theory, like I say, he could crisscross the country and go Tucson to Rockingham to Vegas to have more shots. But like, 
I, I don't say that Jimmy Lewis is not going to win the world championship because he's incapable. I said that Jimmy Lewis is not going to win the world championship strictly due to logistics. Right. Um, yeah. Vince Hoda and Ed Olpen, again, like both of them have two races at which to claim, uh, presumably that would be the Vegas divisional and Pomona. Um, but they would have each have to make deep, deep runs in both events, like be in the finals of both events. And not to say that either one of them are incapable. They obviously are. Like we watched Bradley Johnson do this last year, but having been there, Jed, like I, I would presume that Pomona is even worse in terms of pressure. Like that Vegas points meet, it is the last points meet of the year. It is a week removed from the last time anybody goes down the track. So Vegas and Pomona are the two last races of the year. And there's nothing going on anywhere else in the country. So when you come in there with a chance to win the world, you know exactly what you have to do. And everybody else knows exactly what you have to do. And in case anyone is living under a rock and doesn't know what you have to do to win the world championship, Alan Reinhardt is on the, on the mic reminding everyone exactly <laughs> what you need to do every time that you stage. So you can't get away from it at the racetrack. Like it's all anyone wants to talk about if you are there and in that position. And there are some people that just shine in that, but they are few and far between. Like it is a tough, tough road to hoe. Like it's difficult to come from behind and win a championship period. But I just feel like the circumstances of those two events, uh, I, it's been done. And I think it's unbelievably impressive for that reason. Like it is an immense amount of pressure, particularly when you get close. It's one thing to come in and be like, you know, if I were to go six rounds here and then win next week at Pomona, like I could be the world champion. And you kind of laugh about it. And then you win the first race and then you win like second, third, fourth round at the second one. And now all of a sudden that, that dream scenario that seems so far fetched is like very much within reach and the, you can cut the tension with a knife. So again, yeah, not to diminish Vince Hoda or Ed Olpen's hopes, but if they were to pull that off, like it would be one of the most impressive things that we see all year. Yeah. And think about that, that pressure and, and attention and those discussions, how, how much they get heightened Luke, when you're from a division East of the Mississippi and everybody at the track knows that's the only reason you came out there. Yep. And, and, and people are checking in from home and yes. you've got the expense and the time of this travel. That's, you know, not normal yes. for most of us. Like there's just a lot that plays and into and it. And the 39% of your friends has told you how crazy you are. And, <laughs> yeah, but they're the same just, ones texting and want to know if you're still in <laughs> exactly yeah, those guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so should be fun to see how that plays out, but obviously it looks like for all intents and purposes, it's over. Yeah, those two are my are my mortal locks. So we move now into the category of favorites with work to do. I'll start in Super Comp here. And Christopher Dodd, we talked about him last week, reigning Super Comp World Champion, trying to add his name to the very short list of Super Comp racers who have won back-to-back titles. This was trivia time last week. Assuming that Christopher can pull this off, and I do think he is the odds-on favorite, he would join an elite list that includes Scotty Richardson, Sean Langdon, and Gary Stinnett as the only racers who have won back-to-back Super Comp Championships. Christopher Dodd would be the youngest to do that by close to a decade. Scotty was not old in 1993, 94 when he did this. He was older than Christopher Dodd is. Dodd sits right now at 582 points which is not 
a world championship number. Like that is not a total that would typically win the championship in any category, much less super comp. That number shouldn't win the world. That number might win the world, Jed, if, if Christopher Dodd doesn't improve at all. And he has plenty of opportunities to improve. Well, we'll get to that last. Let's first talk about what anyone would have to do to beat the 582 that Christopher Dodd has right now. The most logical choice for that would be Bob Pros. Pros sits in second, 568 points. He's only 14 points back, so that is a round and a half back. The problem for Bob Pros is he only has one more race at which he could earn points. It will be a divisional event. He's improving a second round loss. So at his last division event, if he could turn on the third round win light, he would advance past the total that Christopher Dodd has now. And you think, that's just three win lights. Like that's doable. It is doable. But again, when you know exactly what you have to do and everyone else knows exactly what you have to do, if you turn on three consecutive win lights, like not the easiest thing in the world. I assume Bob Prose's last points meet will be at Rockingham. Maybe he makes the trip to Vegas. Either way, he would have to stage for fourth round simply to take the lead from Christopher Dodd. And again, Dodd still has opportunities to improve. Another racer with a shot, Ray Miller III. No stranger to pressure, no stranger to championships. He has been the world champion before. He has been top five numerous times. Um, Ray Ray sits at 525 points. That is 57 points back of Christopher Dodd. So a lot of work to do. That's basically six rounds. Um, he has one divisional event remaining at which he can improve a 40, which is a second round loss. So if he were to turn that second round loss into an event win at, say, Rockingham, where he has won before, he would take the lead. He also has one national event left, but there he's improving a fourth round loss. So not a ton of margin there. Uh, would likely either have to win his points meet or go really deep in both races to take the lead um, from Christopher Dodd now. And again, Dodd still with chances to improve. Sherman Adcock Jr. has a shot on paper. Um, Sherman, since his health scare at Indy, has not raced anywhere. He's not entered at Bristol. I meant to reach out to Sherm today. I don't know if he's medically cleared to race. I would assume that if he was, we would have seen him by now. So I'm not sure what the story is there. Uh, obviously, if he has an opportunity to go, he's a threat. But again, like would be a lot of travel and a lot of rounds to pull it off. Yeah, it does seem like quite a, a, an uphill battle for Sherm. Uh, not sure what the doctor's orders are, but I know his beautiful bride at home is... Uh, painfully making him follow them to the T. So if the doctor's keeping him out, then uh, Miss Michelle is not going to allow him to, to get on the road and go, go try to accomplish that goal. But uh, obviously his health is first and foremost. So hopefully uh, Sherm is, is getting well and he'll be back in the middle of one of these points chases, if not next year, uh, very soon. So he'll just have to skip this one looks like. No question. So as I look down the sheet, Big Jed and Supercomp, if looking at predominantly West Coast racers, because that's where the bulk of racing is left, like that have a lot of races left to claim. Um, there's plenty of racers with a mathematical shot at, uh, at unseating Christopher Dodd's current store. Um, for many in the top 10, it would take two deep runs at the remaining two races. Like Steve Hoyt has that opportunity. Austin Williams has a shot on paper, as does Mike Ravalato, probably a handful of others. Uh, again, if you're going to look at racers that have a number of events left to claim, if they were to really get on the road, or if the schedule is going to come to them out in Division 7, uh, you could look at Nick Eisenhower. You could look at Evan Kowalski out West, Trey Vetter out West. Um, 
those are all guys that are certainly capable of getting hot, but would have to have like two, three, four deep runs at remaining races. Like, I don't know that Christopher Dodd's 582 points, even though that's not typically a championship score. Like, I'm not convinced that that won't hold up. I think it might. And if someone, whether it's Bob Prose or Ray Ray or whoever, is able to better that 582, this is where we circle back. Christopher has a lot of room to improve. Like he has one national event remaining where he can, where he's improving a second round loss. He still has two divisional events remaining, um, trying to improve a fourth round loss. Again, that's a tougher bar to clear, but the chances that Christopher Dodd ends up with more than 582 points are pretty solid and 582 might be enough. Uh, and I'm sure that Christopher and his father, Sean, if they're not already headed West to race in Tucson, they will be like, they'll be in Vegas. I, I would, Rest what, assured. What is that a product of, Luke? Is it is it just there's so much parity in that category? I mean, there's parity in every category, but what what is that a product of for the points total to be lower than you typically see uh, in in a, for a champion in any of these categories? You know, obviously you're going to have a very high points total, but this one's a little lower than normal. I do. I, I do think it is a product of parody and super comp and just having watched it this year. Like I know that Fletcher will argue with me. Fletcher has always said like stock eliminator is the toughest class to win. And maybe this is getting back to like the Ohio argument. Like maybe I am biased for running super comp for so many years and watching my wife beat her head against the wall in super comp. Like I think that is the toughest class in an HRA competition because if there are a hundred cars there, like, there is not one that has an advantage due to equipment. Like if there are a hundred cars there, you have 95 big block Chevrolet powered four link dragsters that can go 890 like anytime they want to. And that's really been made apparent, like just in our bad beat segment, like you have this amazing list of drivers in the top 10. And with the exception now of Christopher Dodd, no one has been able to separate and it's not because they're not amazing drivers and it's not because they're not making good runs. Like we, we focus, we turn the spotlight on what Gary Stinnett laid down to lose a couple of weeks ago, what Nick Eisenhower laid down to lose a couple of weeks ago. Like these are drivers that I would say are the best of the best in equipment that is the best of the best. And they're making representative runs that just don't turn the wind light on. Like the super comp is a version of, what we see in eighth mile bracket racing and the difference is that there's just not somebody that has captured lightning in a bottle a la jeff sarah that is it's it's all coming together for like i think there are super talented drivers in, in supercomp and there are super great equipment particularly at the top and it's one of those i i think it speaks to parity in general and then i guess combined with the fact that no one has been in the right place at the right time Okay. That makes sense. It's kind of, kind of what I figured, but didn't know if you had a different take on it. Competition eliminator, Big Jed. Just last week, we were talking about David Billingsley's clutch double victory at the St. Louis Divisional, which vaulted him into the national championship lead. That's no more. Bruno Massel Jr. made the trip out West. I think his stuff has stayed out West. Uh, seems like he won at Vegas at the last divisional event. Uh, he won again the first leg of the double at Vegas. And in doing so, he regained the national points lead. Uh, clutch win in Vegas needed that one. He has, Bruno has two national events remaining. 
Uh, obviously, those will be Vegas and Pomona, uh, improving a second round and a third round loss. He is in great shape in that he is currently in the lead and he has opportunity to improve. Basically, Bruno controls his own destiny in competition eliminator. The contenders, and there are several, but they're almost dependent on Bruno stumbling in order to get there. Like David Billingsley is only three points back. That is less than one round. But David Billingsley only has one divisional event left, presumably Rockingham. Um, and the problem for Billingsley, he's improving a runner-up. Okay, so he has to win the race simply to retake the points lead, and that would be pretty precarious because he obviously would be less than two rounds in the lead, and Bruno still has opportunities to improve. Uh, kind of a similar situation for Frank Aragona. Frank has one national event remaining. He's only 12 points back, but same deal. He's improving a runner-up, and worse yet, he's improving a runner-up from Indy which is basically the only six round race on the competition eliminator schedule. So not only would he have to win his last national event, it would have to be a six round race. And that's not in the cards. Like there are currently five comp eliminator cars entered at Vegas. Five is a long way from 33. 33 is what you would need to make that a six round race. Right. Um, so not looking good for Frank. I, I don't think he's got a mathematical shot. Pete Dagnolo, who we've talked about all year, just 24 points back. That's two and a half rounds. Pete, similar scenario. He's got one divisional event remaining. He would have to win, and it would have to be a five-round race to surpass Bruno's current total. And again, I think it's safe to assume that Bruno will Bruno's final total will be higher than Bruno's current total. Greg Camplain, 56 points back. That's five and a half rounds. He would have to win his last points meet to take the lead. Again, assuming that it's a five-round race, he could also improve a runner-up at a national event. Um, and as crazy as that sounds, like, okay, Greg Camplain, all you have to do is go win your last points meet and go win your last national event. That's all. Um, but that might actually be the best chance anyone has to unseat Bruno Massel. Like, he would have to run the table, Camplain would, and again, that might not be enough. Uh, one other contender, Joe Mozeris, who we talked about a lot earlier in the year because he started out on fire. Joe Mozeris has after that amazing streak to start the season, he has not advanced past round two since July. Now he would have to win his last two points meets. He's over a hundred points back and then still may have work to do at a national event where he's improving a runner up. Like I could almost move Bruno into lock status because it looks really, really good for now for him. He's in charge. He controls his own destiny. And if he adds to his total at all, at his remaining two national events, he essentially locks out everybody that does have a chance to beat him. Yeah. Bruno has long been a, a talent behind the wheel. Um, you know, has accomplished a lot in the sport, but um, it'd be cool to see, especially with the, the controversy that, that he's been involved in this year, it'd be cool to see him get this uh, championship and, and, put another feather in his cap in a, in a year that's, that's dealt him probably a little more attention than he's accustomed to and, and in the wrong way. So uh, good for Bruno. Hopefully he, uh, he seals it up and gets it done. How like serious question for you, Jed, how the hell does Bruno Massel do what Bruno Massel does? That's that dude is question. everywhere. Like he is about to win the competition eliminator world champion championship. He's competed in, what, maybe a dozen national events in pro stock this year. Like that is a professional category. Um, he is on, is it two like full-time television shows? 
that he that he hosts anchors however you want to say that he is on the nhra fox broadcast at the majority of national events he's raising a family like i don't know if you follow his son on twitter like his son is a yeah. is a, a high school quarterback like that is a, a candidate for uh division one scholarship like how the hell does bruno do this all this is amazing and do it all well like it's one thing to just like have your hands on a lot of stuff like bruno doesn't suck at any of this luke i'm a i'm a man i'm a straight man straight as they get but i don't know if you've noticed something else you can add to the list but i think bruno's getting by the gym every so often he's a good looking so, man he's a really good looking man he's in great shape so he, he's former he's, underwear model <laughs> did you know that no i did not know that that's but, a true uh, i'm not making this up full disclosure uh about 11 minutes into the show i realized i was sitting in my underwear i had not slid my shorts on yet because i ran right in from work to change clothes so i know that's not really what the list seems like an opportune really... time for a manscaped read <laughs> it would be really good time for that uh, but i do have shorts on now but yeah bruno's taking really good care of himself which takes some time in the, in the workout program so add that to the list so by goodness, he is, uh, this guy's a man that's everywhere right now. Got a lot going on, but adding a championship is probably, I don't know if it's priority. I guess his, his jobs, his real jobs are priority right now. But as far as racetrack goes, this is priority. So I, uh, I'd like to see Bruno get this done. Uh, it's uh, like I say, when you just take a step back, it's, it's pretty amazing what that man does and balances. Yeah. That, so kudos to him and for for being able to compartmentalize that and put his best foot forward on the racetrack in a category that is as competitive as any particularly in this season like i i've never i i don't remember a comp season where there was legitimately 10 racers that could win the championship on october 1st and that's where we were now it it looks like there is reasonably one it looks like it's going to be bruno not quite over yet and along those lines jed like i was going to keep this to the last of the show but i'll go ahead and slide it in now I don't know if you have a bad beat. I'll, I'll throw it to you. But mine will stay in competition eliminator. My bad beat for the week. How about Frank Aragona? Because we are now lauding and basically crowning Bruno Massel Jr. as your 2021 competition eliminator world champion. Had Frank Aragona won the divisional event in Cecil County last week, we wouldn't be having quite that discussion. Bruno might still be the favorite, but Bruno would still have work to do because had Frank Aragona won that race, he would be your national points leader right now. Bruno would still have races left. Bruno would still have the opportunity to pass him. But right now, the leader would be Frank Aragona. Frank Aragona advanced to the final at Cecil. Okay, Win that round, take the national points lead, opportunity to win world championship, what I believe would be number four for Frank. So the stakes are huge, right? Don't get any higher in what you do in competition eliminator. And at least on paper, I don't follow competition eliminator close enough to tell you this with a great deal of confidence, but Frank qualified faster than his opponent. And given the index that they had taken to that point on paper, it looked like Frank Aragona had a six to 700 CT advantage in the final. He did his job on the tree. They leave within five thousandths of a second of each other. His opponent was 24, Frank's 29. So based on what we know, Frank should win that round. And I assume I have not talked to Frank. I haven't seen the report. Something broke on the car in that round. Frank Aragona goes like five seconds over the index, does not win the round, does not take the national points lead, and essentially has no chance now to win the world championship. That's this week's bad beat. 
Yeah, that's a very bad beat. Uh, still looking for a sponsor for that, by the way, if you're, a, if you're a potential sponsor of this segment. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be the bad beat sponsor? But I'll get away from that. My bad beat for the week, Luke, is very selfish. It is one big Jed Pennington. Now, you just talked about national points in a, in a class full of, you know, 150,000 plus dollar race cars. And I was running the Southeastern Bracket Series points series, which is between a couple of my local tracks, Holiday Beach and I-22, and formerly US-43, now Etheridge Motorsports Park. A little six race series there. I came into the final race this weekend, three rounds back of the leader. It's double points race. So um, just need to need to better him by three rounds. But I really just need to win the race. You know, that's what I'm trying to do is just win the race and everything will take care of itself. Uh, un, unintentional, I hooked the points leader, which is Wayne Franks, good friend of mine, wonderful individual. I hooked him in round number two. Letting go good, cars really good. So all I got to do is beat Wayne, make a good lap, because I just had heard he was six total in round one. So I know I got to make a good lap. I'm set up pretty good, but I go and click me a couple more thou out of the box. I was six first round. So I clicked me a couple more out of the box and just, you know, say, I feel like I'm letting go right. I'm going to make this as good as I can make it. So I let go. Uh, Wayne's 630s. I'm, I'm 580s. I let go and. I'm like, you crushed it. That was it. That's everything you had. You got this. Now make a good lap right here. And and you're gonna you're gonna flip this thing. You're not only gonna win around, you're gonna keep him from winning around. And it's gonna get your momentum to carry you on to where you need to go to to win this championship, which was an eight thousand dollar check for the points champion, by the way. So I I I let go. I'm, I was like, doggone, man. He's, I'm not just going by him. And I, not that I'm holding a bunch, but I feel like I should be going by him. But it's going to be really close. And, I, you know, I just, just to kill a little down there at the stripe and his wind light comes on. And the scoreboards are fairly close. And I go by and I look at his. I, I see, I, I think he was dead in one. I'm like, crap. I had to been just a little bit under, uh, you know, but it's tight. I get my ticket. Big Jed's four take four with a oh. lot on the line, a lot on the line. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that $8,000 check. You know, I'm needing it. And Wayne is four dead one. He was just six total in round one. That's what I was about to say. He backs up a six package with a five. Oof. Yeah. And he comes back and lays down five total in round number two against Big Jed and just kills my hopes and dreams it's a it's a swing in the opposite direction of what my plans were and you know my hopes at the championship are over wow yeah it was, yeah it was that's a pretty, good one pretty hurtful so that a was bad my one. bad beat four take four should win i'll take it every time i go down the track and uh, it didn't work out for me wow yeah no there's this is the the missing element to the bad beat is it's I mean, every weekend at maybe every track, like somebody's double O take double O for the loss or double O and dead on for the loss. Mm -hmm. Like the element that I think makes it qualify for me is the stakes when the stakes get elevated. Yeah. And yeah, this is definitely a stakes elevated situation. I, I, what I won't bring up big Jed is the fact that I was in Ohio over the weekend and I mean, I didn't win, right? Like Ohio beat me, but I didn't run into any runs like that. Like 
pretty much when I lost, it's because I screwed up. Like I red lighted, like nobody just laid down an unbeatable run. I, I messed up for the most part when I lost, not to take any credit away from those that beat me. Sure. But you, you were racing in Alabama and we all know, Jed, that the racers in Alabama are not as good as the racers in Ohio. How did you manage to run into a 5,000 package? Well, Wayne's from Tennessee. So, oh, okay. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why that happened that way. <laughs> oh, I just can't help myself. All right. Um, <laughs> let's go back. Okay. So we, we discussed the NHRA categories that are mortal locks at this point and discussed the two um, favorites that still have a little bit of work to do in Christopher Dodd and Bruno Massel. We have three categories, Big Jed, that we have not discussed. And that's because these are wide open. Let's start with Superstock. We've been saying, I've been saying for two plus months that this is a three-way race between Ricky Decker, Greg Stanfield, and Joe Santangelo. As I look at this today on October 12th, I'm not sure that that's completely true, but for the purpose of conversation, let's discuss those three first. Ricky Decker sits in lead right now. Now, admittedly, that lead is precarious at best. He has 623 points, which is a solid score. Like that is, that's a score that could win the world. He has one divisional event left. He's improving a second round loss. So the opportunity is there to improve and to improve to a point, like if he were to win that divisional, that probably wouldn't get caught, right? He, his, his ceiling is what, 688? Like that's a score that should win the world, right? Meanwhile, Greg Stanfield, on the heels of a stellar week in division four where he earned two runner-ups and a semi at the same three races we were talking about with austin williams greg stanfield was a runner-up at noble he was a runner-up at the houston national midweek then he lost in the semifinals i might have those backwards lost in the semifinals and one of the nationals runner up the other okay had he won any of those three races he would not only be the points leader he'd be in comfortable points lead. As it sits, he is just six points behind Ricky Decker. That's less than one round. And Stanfield still has four races remaining at which he can earn points. And he will be at four more races at which he could earn points. He has three national events left, including and one points meet. He's entered in Bristol. He's entered in Vegas. He's entered in Pomona. Presumably that last points meet will be the Vegas points meet. At his national events, Stanfield now has uh, two runner-ups, which is hard to improve, but his third is a first-round loss. So in three national event opportunities, if Greg Stanfield can see one win light, he would surpass the score that Ricky Decker has right now. So it's fair to say that Ricky Decker's 623 points, not going to win the world, right? Um, but at the same time, Stanfield's ceiling isn't as high as you'd think. Like once he improves that first-rounder at a national, his worst national finish is a runner-up his worst divisional finish is a fourth round loss. So I don't think that he's going to like book out and make this where no one can catch him. If he could win one national event, he's almost certainly safe, but anything short of that, uh, like it's gettable, whether it's Ricky Decker or Joe Santangelo or someone else, let's turn to Santangelo. Poor Joe. Like Joe Santangelo has 603, 603 points at this point. It's 20 back of the lead. He was in such good shape in August. Like I thought he was going to win two world championships. Now he may not win one, right? He's, he's very much in the mix in stock and super stock, but I don't know that he's the favorite in either one. Um, coming into the month of September, Santangelo, again, comfortable lead on the heels of a red hot streak. 
since that time, since the calendar turned to September, Santangelo has entered Superstock in four events and has not been out of round two. He has one divisional mm. left. He has one national event left. He is improving a second round loss at his divisional event. He's improving a third round loss at a national event. So there is opportunity there. I thought this was interesting too, Big Jed, because I was looking through the entry list for this weekend's event in Bristol. Joe Santangelo hails from Connecticut. Okay. There, he has one divisional left. He has one national left. So logic would tell you that the divisional is going to be the only remaining East Coast divisional at Rockingham, and the national is going to be the only remaining East Coast national event in Bristol. And the last time that there was an NHRA national event in Bristol, which was two years ago, they didn't host one in 2020. Guess who won Superstock? Joe Santangelo. Joe. Guess who's not entered in Bristol? What? Joe Santangelo. Which tells me, Broadway Joe hitching up his wagon. He's headed west, son. Okay. It's a long way from Connecticut to Las Vegas. Uh, that's where Santangelo's headed. And now keep in mind, he's got a good history there. If we go back to 2011, Santangelo had to win the last points meet to unseat Jody Lang. And Santangelo did just that. That is the one world championship trophy that he's got on his mantle. Obviously Vegas brings good things. And uh, that's a, I just say like, that's a ton of confidence to say, no, I'm not going right. I'm not going to Bristol. I win at Rockingham. I win at Bristol. I'm not going to those. I'm going to Vegas because that's where everybody else is going to be. And that's right. the last race. I don't know exactly what I got to do. That's what Joe Santangelo is thinking in both classes. We'll get to stock as well. Um, but uh, interesting uh, scenario to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I'm sure this is a calculated move by Joe and you certainly uh, could be facing opponents that are uh, in the middle of this points chase. So again, much like my opportunity with Wayne Franks over the weekend, you, you could have an opportunity to stop someone's points accumulation and you can gain points as well. So I'm sure that's what Joe's thinking and um, we'll see how it works out for him. It's, uh, you know, it, it's Joe Santangelo. So there's obviously a chance. For Joe's sake, let's hope that it works out better for him than it did for you. Yes. Now, if Joe makes the run I made, I'd venture to say he's going to be fine. So don't worry I would about think the results. So. I would like to, if, if Joe Santangelo matches up with Greg Stanfield in round three at Vegas and Joe Santangelo is four, take four, and Joe Santangelo's win light does not come on, Big Jed, we have a bad beat award winner for like the next calendar year. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about it. Just make that run, Joe. You'll be fine. In theory. Uh, if you're looking for longer shots in Superstock, like I said, I, we've been focused on those three, and, and I think rightfully so. But again, the way that this season has shaken down, particularly in Division 7, with, so, with the schedule being so backloaded, um, it's not necessarily confined to those three. We have some big hitters out on the left coast that have made relatively big moves and still have races left. Now, it would take some work. But Jimmy DeFrank has a shot. Jody Lang has a shot. Kyle Rizzoli has a shot. And there are legitimately four races left on the West Coast. Those three will be at all four of them. Um, I believe that each of those guys can earn points at at least three of them. 
the Frank probably has the best shot on paper. He's 65 points back of the lead. He can still earn points at two national events, one divisional event. He's improving a first round loss at the one divisional. I'd say if Jimmy DeFrank wants to win a, I think this would be sixth, sixth national championship. He really needs to win that points meet, the Vegas points meet, and then probably improve nationally as well, where he's working on a fourth round loss. So not an easy feat. Jody Lang, months ago, we talked about how he was going to be a contender because he won not one, but not two, not three, the first three divisional races he went to this season in Superstock. He sits right now 110 points back, which seems like a lot to make up, but Jody Lang has by far the highest ceiling. He's only been to two national events thus far. So his next national event counts full. That'll be Vegas. So if he were to win that, he would make up 105 of those 110 points. Then his second national event, which would be Pomona, he's improving our first round loss. So if he were to win them both, like he could post 693 points and I don't really care what anybody else does. 693 would win. Um, and he could conceivably improve on the divisional side. He still has two races remaining, bettering a fourth round loss. Now, all of that's a very tall order, but it's Jody freaking Lang. Like he could, if anybody could do it, it's him, right? Yeah, and that's so Jody Lang. Luke, you know, Jody, right. just, just laying in the weeds, hanging out, letting all these $100,000 stalkers make their run. And then <laughs> sure. it comes to his quote unquote uh, area of the country and he makes his run and, you know, it could pay off for him as it has uh, very recently. So yeah. we'll see how this works out for Jody, but definitely do not count him out. If he's got a mathematical chance. He's got a chance. Well said. Well said. Uh, Kyle Rizzoli, I mentioned earlier, also a shot in Superstock. But again, like three races remaining, I think he'd have to win two of them at minimum. And even that might not be enough. Uh, confident in saying your championships, your champion is going to be one of those six. Likely one of the first three that we mentioned. But this one ain't over till it's over. Neither is Stock Eliminator, Big Jed. Uh, mentioned again, like poor Joe Santangelo, right? Like it's rough to be Joe right now because... As we mentioned, he has not had the, the success that he's accustomed to at the last couple of races that he's been to. And with the, the points where they are, like that's difficult. And at the same time, everyone that seemingly everyone that Joe Santangelo doesn't want to see win keeps winning. I really thought even as much as, la as, as recently as last week that while Superstock is looking rough for Joe, like he has a shot, but he's certainly not the favorite. He's going to be the stock world champion. All of a sudden, I ain't so sure, Big Chad. Out of not nowhere, because like you know the name Emmons, but in the last week and a half, Jam and Jerry, Jam and Jerry Emmons, strung together fifteen consecutive round wins in Stock Eliminator. He won the points meet at Noble. He won the Houston National that was contested Wednesday. He advanced to the final round of the Dallas National, where finally, after 15 consecutive win lights, Brenda Grubbs put a stop to all that. She laid down. She was 002 on the tree in the final, gets that win. And had she not, Jerry Emmons would have gone from outside the top 10 to the national points lead. As it sits with the runner-up, Emmons moved into second place, and he is just eight points back of Santangelo that is less than one round. Now, Joe Santangelo, similar to in Superstock, he has one divisional, has one national event left. The problem for Joe Santangelo is that to earn a point, 
He is improving a third round loss at a divisional. He's improving a semi at the one national event. It's a tough row to hoe to improve at all. Emmons, on the other hand, who again, less than a round behind, has two national events trying to improve a second round loss, one divisional event working to improve a fourth round loss. As I mentioned, Santangelo, not an earner Bristol, presumably Santangelo heading west. Given what Joe has to improve and what Jerry has to improve, and given their current standing, Santangelo in the lead. So if neither of them were to add a point, Joe Santangelo would be your Superstock World Champion. The latter games in Vegas and Pomona will be epic. There is no doubt in my mind that Joe Santangelo will be trying to hook Jerry Emmons. And when it comes to qualifying, Joe Santangelo learned from the best. Like Anthony Bertozzi is amazing at putting himself at a spot on the ladder. Santangelo is second to one in that regard. Like Joe is really, really good at qualifying. And it's just not, and again, kind of like you had mentioned, Jed, like be careful what you wish for. It's not to say that if they pair up, like Joe Santangelo's win light is going to come on, but that Santangelo, like any of us, he wants to control his own destiny. That's going to be what he's trying to do. And that will be somewhere between fascinating and, and entertaining to watch. Yeah, nothing, nothing more when you're, a, a, you know, a seeking a championship or chasing one to then to control your own destiny, Luke, or put the put the results in in your hands and face the the person that that is threatening you or the uh, creating the biggest threat. And I am certain that you are 100 percent correct and that Joe is going to be looking to position himself on the ladder where he can do that, if not in round one, certainly in a very early round and, and try to stop Emmons from gaining any ground there. So that uh, I would love to be there in person and watch how that works out, but I'll be trying to keep up with it for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I mean, Santangelo, he has been through this. I mean, not only did he win one of the most improbable championships in recent history, He's come up short a number of times too. Like he has been on both ends of this. He is no stranger to the pressure. Not that Jerry Emmons is, but Emmons for all of the, his success and that family success, like he has not been a national champion. He, I don't remember him being this close this late. Right. So uh, as much as I trust him and his skill set, like there is a, there is a, a, a portion of this that's going to be new, that's going to be different. And the pressure on both of these guys is going to be immense. Now, again, I think likely the championship is going to be won by one of those two. It's either Joe Santangelo or Jerry Emmons. Similar to his position in Superstock, Kyle Rizzoli has a shot. Um, three races left to claim. He's 85 points back. There's a path for him, but there's a lot of work to be done. Another one that has just really shot up there in the last month, Chris Hall, who... Uh, division seven racer strung together back-to-back divisional event wins at the division six event in Montana. And then the first leg of the Vegas double, if you're looking for a dark horse, like Chris Hall's standing in stock eliminator is similar to that of Jody Lang in super stock in that hall is 125 points back. Like that's a long way back from where Joe Santangelo sits now, but he's only been to two national events. If he were to win the remaining two national events, which is you know kind of the heater that he's been on. If he were to win Vegas and win Pomona, he tacks on 180 points. He would have 688. 688 is going to win the world. Um, now that's a, a, a tough road to hoe. He could also improve fourth rounders divisional. Is that a long shot? Yeah. But remember the name Bradley Johnson from a year ago? 
Like he came into those last three races and had to win all three and he damn near did it in top dragster. Right. And uh, like, if, if Bradley Johnson's capable, like Chris Hall's capable, like this could happen uh, again. I think it's going to be Jerry Emmons or, or Joe Santangelo, but you look down the list and Chris Hall's got a shot. And at this point in the year, it's really all you can ask for. Yeah. That's all you want is a shot. And uh, obviously not only does he have a shot, but he's on fire. So uh, that, that certainly helps your confidence and your ability to go out there and turn on more wind lights. So um, not a guy I'd want to see coming right now, you know, a, I just, uh, I would prefer if I was those guys out front, somebody just handle that business back there behind us and get that over with. The last category that I want to touch on, Big Jed, top dragster, because Danny Nelson leads. And Danny Nelson, let's talk for a moment, Jed, about the three-year run that he's been on. He was your national champion in the top dragster category in 2019. He came within one single round of duplicating <laughs> that feat in 2020. Uh, if you remember, Anthony Bertozzi was able to stave off uh, both Danny Nelson and Bradley Johnson. Each of those racers staged for the one round to win the championship, and then when that didn't come on in either case, that, that crowned Anthony Bertozzi. Danny finished second. Now, uh, as we sit here in mid-October, Danny Nelson leads the national championship yet again. I think it's relatively safe to say that Danny Nelson will go three consecutive years in NHRA top dragster competition without finishing outside of the top two. And that may well include two world championships. Yeah, obviously a tremendous run by Danny Luke. And that, that thing started, I guess, about uh, mid to late summer 2019, where he had an incredible run of victories and then did a similar thing last year. This year, I guess, put himself in position a little bit earlier. Now he's the the hunted instead of the hunter. So got to be feeling a little bit different for him. But nonetheless, uh, again, a gentleman that's, um, you know, obviously no spring chicken. Again, I, I don't know how to dress that up and not offend Danny in any way. But uh, he's, uh, he's a guy had probably as many or more birthdays than most everybody he stages against and still showing how ultra competitive he is and taking his own chassis out there and showing his customers what it's capable of and continuing to repeat and do well in a category that's crazy fast. Good for Danny uh, and all in all fronts and all phases, just really solid by him. Jed, I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling not about Danny Nelson's age, uh, about you, not even necessarily about you trying to, to choose your words. Obviously, we both have a tremendous amount of respect for Danny. But this just made me think, I, I'm not going to name names here, but at our door car race about a month ago, I had a gentleman that pulled in and driven a, a, a pretty long way. And uh, he's like, ah, somebody behind me, can I just pull over there till I get here? I'm like, Sure. Right. So he pulls in the staging lanes he's on the phone, kind of disheveled. So this goes on like 10 minutes. He sits over there by himself. Finally, I ride back over on the scooter. I'm like, Hey man, everything. All right. Yeah. It's, it's my dad. He was following me and he, he he's just effing old. 
<laughs> and just the way that the way that you put that made me think for whatever reason that was the statement that jumped to mind. He's just he's just he's just old, right? So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll get there one. The pulled in, they got parked. All was well. But he was a good 40 minutes behind them. And apparently when they got off the interstate, they were together. So <laughs> uh, not good. All right. So back to Danny Nelson's situation in Top Dragster. He's in the lead with 565 points, kind of similar to what we talked about with Christopher Dodd. Like that's not necessarily a championship total, but it is a, a, a significant lead at this point. And then he's done. He cannot earn a single point. He's, he's out of his max quota of races. So he's sitting at 565 and 565 might hold up, but I can guarantee you, I don't know if Danny Nelson loses sleep over anything. Like if he is if he is paying attention to this, he's not sleeping well because that 565 is not a comfortable lead. Both Al Peevler and his son Blake Peevler have a shot to catch him. Blake actually has the best chance. He trails by just 53 points. He has one national event. He has two divisional events remaining. He's entered in Bristol. If he were to win, this is Blake Peevler, win top drag at Bristol, he would take the lead. And yet in saying that, if Blake Peevler wins the national event in Bristol, he takes the lead. He's the likely world champion. At the same time, if Blake Peevler goes to Bristol, loses in round one, I don't like his chances at all. Like he would basically have to win a points meet and it would have to be a full five rounds in order then to pass Danny Nelson if he does not win at least one round at Bristol. And adding to the complication of that, the likely points meet for the Peevlers that they reside in Indiana, like Rockingham is way closer than Las Vegas. But historically, uh, that race at Rockingham, in order for him to be able to earn enough points there, he would have to win and it would have to be a five-round race. Historically, that Rockingham race is nowhere near five rounds. I believe last year it had eight cars, like eight top dragster cars. It's just mm. not big in that part of the country. It's not big at that facility, whatever the case may be. So I think it's all chips in the middle at Bristol this weekend. Like Peevler has to, if not win, go deep. And then they'd have to be willing, likely to make the trek to Las Vegas. Um, at the same time, Blake's father, Al, trails by 61 points. Does a little over six rounds. His opportunity isn't as strong as his son's, but he does have Al Peevler, one national event, one divisional event remaining. He's improving a third round loss at the national, a second round loss at the divisional. He would need deep runs at both of his remaining events to surpass the total that Danny Nelson has right now. Oh, by the way, if there's one more name in this mix, it belongs to the aforementioned Bradley Johnson. Yes, Bradley Johnson is back in the discussion. We remember well what he did to close last season. He had to run the table at the last three events in Las Vegas. He won the first, he won the second. He advanced to the final round of the third only to come up one win light short of unseating Anthony Bertozzi as the national champion. If you'll remember, Big Jed, Bradley Johnson accomplished that feat while attending just two national events in 2020, which means that if he had gone to one more national event, if he had failed tech, he would have gotten 10 points. He would have been your world champion. He didn't even have to lose oh, wow. the first round. He just had to enter. Oh. Okay. Bradley right now trails by 66 points. That's a pretty wide margin. But he can earn points at all of the remaining events on the West Coast. That's two divisionals, two divisionals. Now, his problem is that there's no top drag street at Las Vegas. 
So now you're down to one national event because Bradley has not entered in Bristol. It is a scheduling conflict. I would assume he'll be in Tucson this weekend. So he has one national event at which to improve a first round loss. Okay, that's Pomona. Again, I mentioned Bradley trails by 66 points. If he were to win Pomona, he would get 65 points. So between now and then at the two divisional events, he has to improve on a second round and then potentially a third round loss. Big opportunity for that in Vegas because that is actually a six-round race in Top Dragster. It's one of the few events of the season that takes a 48-car field. So there's more points on the table. It's going to take a good two showings out of three events for Bradley Johnson. But if last year told us anything, it's that he's obviously capable. And how great a story would it be for anyone not named Danny Nelson? Like how much poetic justice would there be if Bradley Johnson was able to put this run together and now in 2021 win the national championship? Yeah, it'd be a, quite the incredible story, um, obviously coming off of, of doing it in the prior year. So, um, and as you said, if, if I'm Danny, I don't know if anything really bothers me because look, as I've said about Bertozzi many times, don't worry about Antoine. If the wind light don't come on, it's all good, dog. Uh, Danny's good in that Danny. same light, isn't he? Yeah, Danny. Yeah, Danny's living a good life. Okay, Danny's doing well. Thing, things, his life has gone well, and he'll, uh, you know, if he misses a shot at winning ten or fifteen k for a championship, he'll make it up at poker table Tuesday night somewhere. So it's all good for for Willie Nelson. Everything be just fine, but. He wants this championship. He feels like he's done just about everything he can do to earn this championship. And there's Bradley Johnson again, just about ready to make his run with a, a realistic shot. This is not one of those crazy long shots. This is somewhat realistic. So um, wouldn't be feeling real good if I'm, if I'm Danny right now. Would not want to be watching Bradley coming to the lanes. And I'll just say, Jed, like, I love Danny Nelson. He's one of my favorite people. It's going to be hard not to root for Bradley Johnson. Like if he gets close, I, after last year and the gut punch that that had to be, like I would love to see that guy win a world championship. I would love to see the round that it would take him to secure it happen to be against Danny Nelson. That's what I'd really like to see. Oh, that would add a layer. That's, that's yeah. possible too. I don't it know is. if Danny's planning on going out West, but he has the opportunity to play blocker. Like, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, I would say there's, there's, I mean, the race is in Vegas. There couldn't be a place on earth that, that Danny Nelson likes more. Well played. Well played. <laughs> Dan, than Vegas, Danny so. really needed a good excuse to go to Vegas. Yeah, he? he's got every reason he needs to go. I would say Danny's going to be there. He might. I think the World Series of Poker is going on now. We might just not know it. Danny may be there. Right well, he's probably there already. Yeah, it's a really good point. <laughs> That was an incredible breakdown of those points battles. It really was. And again, whether whether folks are huge fans of, of these categories or not, you break this down and make it, you know, you show, you don't make it interesting. You bring out the interesting points and, and make it something that we want to see play out and see what and, and watch take place. So excellent job on that breakdown, my friend. Well done. I love this stuff, man. What can I say? I, I, I know me and our two listeners that just love to nerd out like we just had a ball for the last hour and a half. So thanks, guys. And both from Ohio, by the way. So we appreciate Possible. you guys very much. Uh, 
we, we thank you for listening. But reality is, uh, Luke, you're about to win your third NHRA World Championship, um, two in the super gas category, which is obviously an extremely rare feat. So congratulations to you. I know it's not over, but it's over. And uh, it's going to be great to uh, to see you accomplish that goal. I know how difficult it is. And I know you give up some things that uh, you would like to attend when you're chasing something like this. So uh, there's some sacrifices in there for you. So uh, well done, as always. And looking forward to seeing you hoist the trophy and get to uh, have your time in the, in the, on the stage in the uh, banquet. So going to be fun to see that, my friend. Thanks, man. Pretty cool stuff. Like I say, it's uh, yes, there is some sacrifice involved. Nobody wants to hear it when you've put together a, a season like I have, Sosperia. But yeah, I mean, you there's there's a commitment involved in it, and uh, and I've been on both sides of it. Like you you go through that commitment and come up a little bit short, and it's still fun. You're still glad you did it. You still got stories to tell, but uh, obviously, it uh, it feels a little bit more worthwhile when things fall into place. So, yeah, no doubt. And uh, as far as the others go, good luck to everybody that you, you've discussed at length here that, that has a, a mathematical shot or even, you know, a, a better than normal shot at winning. So these things are going to be fun to watch. Um, certainly uh, look forward to seeing or hearing you uh, break it down and, and see how these things are working out in the next couple of two or three races. But other than that, Luke, that pretty much wraps us up. I mean, this was a really good show. Uh, it was a little bit long, but. Uh, this is a time of night where we're we're in much better shape than we were on the last show. So hopefully we, we brought that energy and we kept people interested right up until the end, which we're at now. So uh, I apologize for telling people that I had the uh, first 11 minutes of the show in my underwear. Um, you know, if you go back and listen to this, you'll, you won't even be able to tell. If you play the first 11 minutes of this show, You'll never be able to tell I was just in my underwear and uh, no shorts on. So um, prove me wrong. But other than that, Luke, uh, we, we definitely want to hear from the listeners. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you tuning in. We'd love for each and every one of you or both of you, excuse me, to reach out to us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can put it right out there for the public. Tell us what you're loving about these points battles or about some of the bracket racing discussions that we had. Um, stuff you want to see on the show or hear on the show, stuff you don't want to hear on the show, like me sitting in my underwear for the first 11 minutes of this one, those type things, if they need to go away, by all means, let me know. I'll quit talking about it. But until then, uh, we want to hear from you and, and hear what uh, you think about the Sports and Drag Racing podcast with Luke and Jed. And again, you can put it right there on our page, uh, send it right out there for everyone to see, or you can send it through private message and producer Mark will snag that up and uh, certainly let us know that uh, that you reached out to us and had uh, uh, something to say about a topic on the show. So, um, Luke, it's a uh, it's one of my favorite, obviously, times of the show uh, right here where you're about to do shouts. So bring it, son. Uh, I'll, I'll actually kick off shouts on a bit of a somber note. Um, I'm going to shout out the Kaufman family. Um, I think most of our listeners know uh, Danny Kaufman passed away over the weekend. Um, Danny, I, I, I made his mark in a lot of different areas of our sport. Uh, those of us uh, rooted in big dollar bracket racing, remember Danny, his son, Greg, uh, from the B&M days and, and basically seemingly every big dollar race uh, before and since like Danny was a fixture, uh, had spent some time in pro stock, like very, uh, varied, uh, career with a ton of success and just, uh, 
a guy that you couldn't help like you would never forget meeting Danny Kaufman, I think is the best way to put that. Like just a, a good dude, a fun guy to be around. Um, Danny suffered a, a heart attack that took his life over the weekend. So our thoughts uh, and prayers with Greg and the Kaufman family. And just, we talked about this a while back, Jed, like, I, I don't know if this is just a result of age and the number of people that have touched our lives over the years, but like, it just feels like the hits keep coming and maybe this won't get any better as we get older. So this is just another in a, in a long line of, of tough losses, I think over the course of last year. And then even more specifically, like to this region, like the Kentucky racing family has been through it. You know I mean? You talk, Danny Kaufman and Mike Crick and James Schoen and Stu Drake, like that's one region that just seems like it's been hit really hard this year. So um, like I say, just our thoughts with, with the families, obviously uh, of those and, and just that entire racing community. Cause that, that stuff, that stuff can get to you really quick. So. Yep. No doubt. Very well said Luke. And um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, certainly thoughts and prayers out to the Kaufman family. I, I talked to Greg uh, today right around lunch and um, obviously he and the family are hurting. It was sudden. It was, um, you know, unexpected. There was no sickness leading up to it. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a massive heart failure um, and took Danny's life and 69 years old. Uh, a legend in our sport, a legend in the, the part of the country that I frequent the most, um, you know, just a guy that, that meant a lot to not only racing, but to a lot of people, a uh, huge heart, but a tough, tough man grew up in an era where you had to be tough. And as I told Greg, you know, Greg will, will obviously has been heavily involved in the family business and now we'll have that kind of on his plate all together and told Greg Danny uh, Danny put a lot of toughness in the people around him whether you were family or not if you were going to hang around Danny Kaufman you were going to be hard working and you were going to be you were going to do things the right way and you were going to be tough and Greg's got all of that so Danny's prepared him to continue on and, and handle things uh, very well, but I know there's a lot of hurt there for Greg and, and anybody that Danny's impacted uh, in the, the short time he was with us, those 69 years, and um, we, we certainly have each and every one of you in our thoughts and prayers and hope, um, hope you have the strength to get through these difficult days, weeks, and months ahead. I know it's not going to be easy, but uh, I assure you Danny Kaufman would not accept anyone sitting around and and being upset about this he'll tell you get your butt to work there's stuff to do so that's uh that's the message that that we want everybody to to understand and go forth with damn well said jed like normally i'm the serious one and you make the jokes now we're gonna go from <laughs> from you laying down that to i'm gonna transition into making the jokes so my, the fun part of my shouts <clears throat> i'm gonna shout out austin williams i'm gonna shout out the aggies I'll shout out the Crimson Tide, too, just for you. Yeah. I want to shout out the oh. state of Ohio, Big Jed. O-H. I-O. I'm going to leave you guys alone. I think, I, think, I think I've played out the bit. I had to keep it going until I went to Ohio. I had to man up and see you guys face-to-face. -face. I'm going to let it go. There's good racers in Ohio. There's good <laughs> racers everywhere. I'm done. Shouts to Jeff Duck, not a. Yes, not a duck. Not a duck. <clears throat> Shouts to the city of Las Vegas, the World Series of Poker, and Danny Nelson. Shouts to Bruno Massel Jr. Shouts to underwear models. Shouts to Manscaped. And shouts to you, Big Jed. 
and your underwear. That's all I got. Thank you, Luke. Uh, you know, that was, that was, <laughs> that was incredible. Bruno Massel, I think had like a Calvin Klein underwear ad, like in Times Square. I think that's a thing. Yeah. And, and most people don't know this and I really shouldn't discuss this on the show, Luke, but I turned that down. I was actually asked to do that first. And yeah, uh, yeah. I just I, thought Bruno was getting big breaks on the racetrack. No, I actually Life told is him going I, Bruno's way. Yeah, as you told Calvin himself that uh, Bruno is a friend of mine and he's, he probably needs this ad more than I do. So uh, no one through it's like that announcing bond, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really is. It's uh, an announcer's guild. So, um, but so Bruno, you're welcome. But Luke, that was an incredible list of shouts. It was, uh, it was awesome and uh, certainly enjoyed all of that. And again, listeners, um, we appreciate you tuning in. We ask that you support the sponsors of this show. Uh, this show is uh, is currently $3,100 in the hole. Um, financially, we're struggling right now, so we need sponsors, and we need you to. Uh, wow, we're doing we better you. than ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good. Uh, we need uh, we need sponsors to uh, to help us bring this show to you every week. So go support them and let them know that you're supporting them because of the the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast and and all the great things you heard about them here. But reach out to us on the Twitter. Luke and I are very active on Twitter. Uh, I was on there uh, a week and a half or so ago looking at stuff, and it's, you know, I'm on there a lot. So make sure you reach out to us. Uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, like you need me to spell it again. I am at JP11X, and we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us early, often tag us, bag us, and whatever else you do. We want to hear from you. And that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Go to manscaped.com, put in promo code JED, get 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, it's, you know, it's Halloween. Don't scare anybody with your junk. Make it presentable. That's it. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Uh, Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing shop online at bteracing.com enrollment in this is bracket racing elite is now open you've heard me discuss or at least reference this is bracket racing really elite it is the premier offering of our website this is bracketracing.com Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests 
racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.